Welcome to the second installment of our special edition Three Crosses podcast, where Pastor Larry and I talk about switching roles in the year to come. If you did not listen to our first special edition podcast, go back now and check that out. In this episode, Pastor Larry turns the conversation to talk to you, to folks in the congregation, about how do we as people who sit in the pews respond to a change of this nature. From my seat, as I talked with Larry today, I got some interesting insights of some of the big things that happened in the first few years of Larry's tenure and the beautiful support that came from our church along the way. I hope you're encouraged by this conversation with Larry and I today. So the first special edition of our podcast was so good, they asked for an encore performance. How do you feel about that? Oh, I love it. Let's do it. What do you think was so resonating from folks uh, who said, hey, we love that podcast? I mean, I heard that. Did you hear people yeah, loving the podcast? Totally. What do you think they love? They don't just like to hear, like to hear us talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I hope not. <laughs> I know. I think they're sick of hearing us on Sundays anyway. So. You know, I think it was just uh, being in the conversation. You know, I think people really enjoyed sort of like sitting in to kind of an intimate uh, reflection on kind of our process that both of us really appreciated sharing with each other, and I think people like that. What do you th- What do you think is encouraging about hearing a process for folks? I think it includes them. I think they feel like you know, and they should like, hey, we were a part of this. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're we're not in those meetings, but we're actually kind of the catalyst for those meetings because our pastors care about our congregation. And so we're taking the feedback from our church, too, and sort of the rhythm of what God's doing. So I think, yeah, I feel like it's probably participation. It's probably a little bit of like insight, you know, a little illumination, like, oh, this is what's going on. And sort of that picture of, oh, there's not like another story that's kind of being buried down here. There's not redaction history that's going on that we, you know, we're just sharing what the truth is. And I think people resonate with that. I love this podcast context because I feel like I think one of the reasons that we don't share the whole story is just because we don't have time a lot right. of times, but right. we've got infinite time on this podcast. Yeah, we can keep going. I think, I mean, I'm looking at James right now who's producing this podcast. He says we do not have infinite <laughs> time, so we'll be mindful of that. But I'd love to take the next few minutes and chat about something that you brought up immediately when we hit the stop button recording our first podcast where you said, oh, I wish if we did another podcast we can talk about congregational response mm. to all this. What did mm. you mean by that? Yeah, I think it's so important. And one of the things I learned in the re- research that I did for my dissertation was that the congregation plays a huge part in the success of a successful uh, in the success of a successful transition. Um, it's really important for the congregation to realize sort of what the pain points are for them. It's important for leaders to understand what the pain points are for the congregation. But for the congregation to also sort of like objectify a little bit and not, you know, sort of run on just their emotional steam with what's going on. Because, um, you know, like we're part, we're very intentional in how we're doing this. And I think it's important for the congregational to be intentional too. When you talk about pain points, what what do you mean? <laughs> what, what kind of pain can our congregation uh, yeah. be prepared for? Yeah, well, <laughs> oh, there's a lot of pain coming, Danny. <laughs> No, I think, you know, whenever change happens in the church, especially when it comes to leadership, there's just going to be pain. <laughs> and the biggest pain point is change. And like not, change itself, that y- idea. Y- like. y- the idea of change, but, you know, obviously there's a there's a change in the leader. Okay. And so that just creates a big, uh, um, you know, anticipation for other changes. Like this is a new leader, and so there's going to be other changes. And so I think, you know, as much as people hear about uh, things that are coming and even the changes and even a new person taking a new role. Um, I think there's just fears that people have. 
And you know, one of those fears is just like, okay, most people, most people are really okay with change. They say they're okay with change until whatever change happens confronts something that they like, you know. And that's where I think for leaders, you know, we're very sensitive to the fact that any change changes everything, you know. Um, and that's kind of a broad statement that we could pull apart a little bit too. But my point is. When people anticipate change, there's just immediate little fear factors that come up mm-hmm. in their heart because they're going to think, well, I think I'll be good with everything, but what if he touches this area of my life or this ministry that I love or this way of doing something in our church? And so um, so, so fear is one of those things, just the fear of like feeling like they're being mistreated. Do you think that fear... I feel like you've done a great job not mistreating people, (laughs) (laughs) by and large. large. (laughs) And I know you never intentionally mistreat people. I know, too, even your personality and character is such that Mm. you're very cautious to make Mm. change that Mm. would hurt folks because you want to shepherd folks and care for them and not hurt them, especially needlessly. So where do you think in a church like ours where we've got – kind of longevity with senior pastors and not Mm -hmm. a real history of hurting folks. Where does that Mm. fear come from? Yeah. It's a great question. I think, you know, I think most of the time where that finds its way uh, to expression is in the area of methodology of things. Um, You know, the way we, the methods that we choose to pull off our ministries in a way that honors God, because times change, needs change in a community. And so, you know, the DNA of our church is solid. We've been the same. We're going to stay the same on the on the things that we are about, you know, uh, gospel preaching, evangelism, outreach opportunity, creativity, those kinds of things are really what our church has been birthed on. And God seems to have blessed, you know, for all these decades. Um, and so those things stay the same. But then what, what are the actual methods? And over the years, of course, methods changed, you know. Um, when I came into uh, serving here at Three Crosses, we had this big kickoff rally, which was a, a youth event that was phenomenal. And we did that for another uh, eight or nine years. Nine years, I think, we did it. But it had kind of run a course, and we had all kinds of – I mean, we had thousands of kids coming out. On, this was even before you were in high school, Danny. Uh, there was there were kids that were coming out to – uh, a cheerleading competition where we inserted the gospel and did you know crazy stuff right out on the bricks of our church. We had thousands of kids, you know. We'd spend all night cleaning up because the next day was Sunday, you know, and so we'd be pulling beer bottles out of the bushes and stuff <laughs> where you know kids came. But it got a little rough, and it started to be a little gang warfare kind of stuff. People coming up, causing trouble, um, and so really it it, it just kind of you know it came to a place where we needed to change the method, and so. We, we did some new things with our student ministries as far as bringing in crowds of kids and exposing them to the gospel. But so that's a microcosm of maybe a bigger picture of what we do. You know, we, I mean, going way back, you know, we used to have organ fun night, you know, which. Okay, wait, wait. Tell us more about this. <laughs> I mean, this needs some explanation. Absolutely. But, you know, Davon Rhodes was just an amazing, you know, uh, organist. And uh, we had this incredible theater-style organ that was in our church. And so there was a big outreach for many years with this organ fun night. And so people would come out, and Dave would play all these different kinds of you know songs and feature the different things on the organ. And, and of course, over time, there was attrition coming in. The organ was not as popular. The theater organ was not really the thing. And so, um, you know, and that became a very obvious thing. That was not something we had to big pull plug on. But, you know, that changed. You know, we, 
well, anyway, I could keep going. But so changes in methodology are probably the thing that people are sort of afraid of. Like, what is the, you know, we can use the expression, what is the the sacred cow, you know, that everybody mm-hmm. loves. And so th- those are challenges to, to leadership, you know, what when things become less effective or, you know, or they're not, uh, the the population of our community are not connecting with them or the need isn't being met in, in the same way. Things need to change. And was that, I think of, I don't know if Oregon Fun Night was a sacred cow. This is the first time I've ever heard about Oregon yeah. Fun Night. <laughs> but I do think, they, I know the kickoff rallies were unbelievable. I've, yeah. We've got a picture somewhere. Have you seen that? The big poster yeah. of the photograph. From, yeah. Yep. There's the thousands of kids and the cheerleaders out um, where the cafe space is now. And mm-hmm. and I think of like our Sunday night illustrated sermons. They've yep. kind of been the hallmark, had been the hallmark of our yep. church since its inception almost. Yep. And then, I mean, were you the hatchet man? Did you come in and kill the Sunday night illustrated <laughs> sermon? <laughs> Yeah, I think when I started preaching that, this is when I killed it. <laughs> <laughs> Just died you starved the sacred cow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, I think there was a lot of effort and energy put into this, you know, uh, idea of illustrating biblical themes, you know, through drama, and then, um, and yet it was funny. <laughs> near, uh, it wasn't near the end, but at some point in that experience, you know, you could fire a shot in the auditorium and and probably not hit anybody. I mean, there was. There, it was a dwindling attendance. A lot of the people loved it because of the heyday of people coming to know Christ, but just the interest was not there. And so I started talking with our governing elders about, you know, like, hey, we need to move to a different format or something or consolidate our efforts and put that energy into our Sunday morning services. And what happened, actually, is I said, we need to really change the the feel and look of what we do with our theater outreaches and put the energy and effort that we're trying to put in on a weekly basis into seasonal outreach. And that's really where the whole, um, we were doing some things outdoors and we were doing Christmas and Easter, but that all went to a whole new level at that point. So the, but it was hard because there were people that just said, if we get rid of Sunday night, you know, we're, we're taking a big slide into, you know, compromise as a church and all this stuff. And it was silly. So we had to walk through a lot of that with our, um, with our leadership teams more than anything. And when we finally made the decision, I think people saw the the value of it and the reality of it, and it was not a, a big issue. So, um, you know, I think people quickly got the beauty of of putting that investment into our seasonal outreaches, which has really paid off and created just almost yearly a greater surge and a greater mm-hmm. desire, not only for excellence in the arts of what we're doing there, but also in just of the interest from the public. Mm-hmm. You know, those things have just gone crazy. And it's interesting to me, I hear you you're talking on one hand about some of these big hallmark things that we've done that you discerned or your team discerned that it was time to retire at some mm-hmm. point and move mm-hmm. on. And on the other hand, you're talking about how change is really hard for folks, yeah. but people were okay with those big, big changes. Were people generally okay with those? I think th- most people were. And I think when they saw the, you know, biblical rationale and the fact that we weren't changing fundamentally as a church, you know, that we weren't like selling out to things that the culture was selling out to, or even the culture of modern, you know, liberal churches, you know, like we were still preaching hard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, but we just felt like the method that we were using wasn't really like bringing it to people. And of course, as society continues to grow and becomes more hardened and more darkened, you know, we've not seen, you know, as much response. And that's sort of like that, that we could go down the road too of like, well, you know, how responsive are people in our culture, in our specific local setting? I think it's a really a harder culture. But what I love the fact is that we've continued to find ways of literally uh, creating clear 
presentational gospel to people, which is the true gospel, uh, that we're not shading anything, we're just sharing the truth. And and the response from the term in terms of conversions might have dropped or is dropping to some degree, but I think that's more cultural uh, in terms of just what's happening in our culture and and the need to do other things that are maybe going to bring more um, you know preparation of the heart to when people come to those events when they hear the gospel. You know, another one of those big, you know, sacred cows, I should say, I don't know if I'd call it a sacred cow, but a big part of our ministry was the portical mm-hmm. for years. And so when I became the senior pastor, the portical was kind of on its waning side because bases were closing and, you know, we weren't involved in any active war situation. Uh, but we still had, there were still sailors, uh, you know, at the um, Naval Air Station. There was still uh, people out at uh, Treasure Island. But you know, that was also a decision made. And what we, you know, a methodology that changed there, we took the same kind of demographic. Who are the people that are, you know, sort of disenfranchised, well, not dis- they're uh, relocated, relocated to a new part. They're alone. They don't have a lot of friends necessarily, and, they're, and they need things like hospitality and love. So we opened a ministry to international students. And there was a season from the Portocol that actually put a pretty big surgence, a resurgence into the area of our international students. And that had a season. Season, and I wish it, I would love to say that that continued because I think the need is still there and great opportunity. Whether that's a cultural thing is difficult, but you know it's been harder to get people. And I, you know, I, I'm just kind of sharing my own heart here, but for people to see the value of investing in students that are away from their countries, but really in the same way, like the service men and women of the day were interested in finding a place of connecting connectivity and love you know that that's what our international students ministry became and that's still actually functioning it's great and there's probably i don't know there's probably 50 or 60 people that are kind of connected with that ministry but mm-hmm. it'd be awesome that i still think that that's a viable thing but anyway those kind of methodology changes you know that gets people uh you know they wonder like well what's what's the thing that i like is that going to go away mm-hmm. and um and so, you know, those are some of the sensitivities of new leaders that come in and have a desire to reach and connect and a younger generation that sees the culture a little differently, which will be great for our church to kind of fall under your leadership and the things that you see in culture that really need to be brought to the forefront and things that are tweaked in our methodology that need to be more tweaked and things that need to be changed, some things that maybe need to be removed, some things that need to be added. That's all part of the dance. And yet, you know, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I'd love to talk about maybe in another podcast is just in a leadership role, how, how would I, with our governing elders, with our team in the future, how do I evaluate those things to mm-hmm. know where do we develop what God's mm-hmm. doing? How do you sense that? How mm-hmm. do you hear the, the voice mm-hmm. of God in the midst of all that? How do you know when it's time mm-hmm. for something to retire? I, like I'm personally excited about hearing your heart mm-hmm. on, on that topic. Yeah. I think, you know, today thinking through the context of okay, what does it mean to be someone in the pew mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning, who is sitting there and all of a sudden, you know, Larry Vold, the new senior pastor, comes up twenty three years ago and says, "We're ending this thing." You yeah. know, <laughs> how does it feel to be that person, and what can they, you know, what advice do you have for our congregation when they're in a place where we're not always going to have a podcast, so they just are going to hear, yeah. "Hey, the thing I love is disappearing." And yeah. you know, full disclosure, I have no plans to kill anything like in my brain yeah. right now, but yeah. I know that inevitably happens as right. churches change, and like you mentioned, so right. Right. what's what's the advice for the folks who are sitting out there and just hearing that yeah. some of the things that they love yeah. someday might be disappearing? Yeah. That's so good. I think um, there's a couple things, and it's so good that you asked that, because what I experienced when I became senior pastor is that 
and I really, you know, this was a gift from God that I just will always thank God for, is that the church really uh, came to trust me, you know? And it's a little emotional even thinking about it because I know who I am. I know I'm faulty. I don't always have the right, you know, beat on things. But one thing that God really gave me uh, in our church was, and it, and I don't think it was immediate, although I had time to build trust. You know, I was involved in our, just like you have been, you know, I've, I had a shepherding ministry outside of, you know, uh, the immediate um, main services. So I was working with a group called Cornerstone, which is our, our we call them our young families. And uh, so there was a lot of, you know, those folks that were really kind of connected with me, just like there have been people connected with you too in the Kaleo ministries and student ministries that have come up under your ministry. And then, of course, you're teaching too. But it takes a little while for people to um, hear the heart of a leader. And so, you know, as a little exhortation to you, and sometime in another podcast, we can kind of talk about some of your preparation for this. But I was gifted with... um, People not giving me blind trust, but an invested trust. Like they, they knew that my heart was for our church. They knew that my heart was for the history of our church, and and not just you know coddling historical memories, but the fact of what uh, the DNA, you know, mm-hmm. what made our church very unique and special. That they trusted me that I was not going to change that. You know that I was I was still in the middle of the lane when it came to the way God had wired our church and sort of put his blessing on it. Um, and and I think of a very, you know, a relatively short period of time, I was given this trust that most people really just would say, you know, um, we're following you, you know? So like an exhortation to our congregation in the midst of this change is to and I don't know, we didn't have podcasts then, so it, it was just the Holy Spirit, you know, giving people a sense of, you know, you can trust your leader. I would tell a congregation, trust new leadership. And not a, not a, a blind trust, mm-hmm. because we should never check our brains out when we come into any assembly where people are involved. But there should be an implicit trust. There should be a sense of, unless you do something that really would make me wary of your trust, I'm going to give you my trust. I'm going to give you trust. And by that, that means I'm going to submit to you as a new leader, even if I am not sure where all that goes, you know? And I felt that so dramatically among leaders, among, uh, not, I'm not talking just about our governing elders. I'm talking about uh, kind of the lay leadership uh, tier of our church, people that were Sunday school teachers, people that worked in the, our ushering teams, people that were, you know, they're just in the in the trenches serving. And they would give me this like, hey, we're behind you. We're for you. We're, we, we love you. And wow, as a pastor, I mean, I can just tell our congregation, do this with Pastor Danny. It will, it, it did a couple things in me. One, it gave me um, joy, but it also gave me a, a greater sense of weight and responsibility. You know, I wasn't fighting for people's trust. I was fighting to to maintain their trust, you know? And that's what happens, I think, when people give submission. It's kind of what I tell married couples that are fighting. You know, I say, look, I'll tell the wife, look, you know, your husband right now probably come, is coming off kind of like a jerk to you. But if you will just submit to him and honor and reverence his leadership role, even though he, you don't think he deserves it, that's going to be the way God puts pressure on him to be a man that leads you rightly. Now, I know where this is not a marriage discussion, but I remember, I think it was Ken Poor that said, you know, submission is learning how to duck so God can hit your husband. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, I don't know. I, I think a, a submission 
a submission to leadership is one of the gifts that a congregation gives to a leader, and it's also one of the tools that God uses to make the leader a better leader. And I love that, you know, when I think of the biblical concept of submission, I think of all those, like the Ephesians 5 um, passage and the other places where the Apostle Paul kind of turns from the theology to start talking about, okay, how do we live this thing out in mm-hmm. the household of God? Yeah. And I love how uh, he's, he starts with that concept of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ yep. and just kind of lays down this blanket statement for, you know, bosses and servants and husbands and wives and kids and parents and everybody to say, hey, all of you drop your guard and submit to each other. That's your job as Christians. And, you know, leaders submit to the congregation, congregation submit to your leaders. And now with this posture of submission, he starts to rebuild, okay, how do we live now as submissive Mm -hmm. people in a world where God has given us some level of roles within the family of God? So he's given some to be pastors and some to be teachers, you know, all these different places. And so obviously we all submit but then like you're saying there's this responsibility that a leader has in a church to mm-hmm. and a pastor has to to lead mm-hmm. and so it's almost like we all duck mm-hmm. and yeah. re- remember that God is in charge we submit to him yep. and then the leader kind of reverently stands up and says okay now how yeah. do I how do I serve God and lead yeah. these people in a way that that's honoring to him mm-hmm. and i can see you know, I've never felt the weight of senior leadership that you're talking about. I expect mm-hmm. that will happen soon. And I pray happen. that it will release from your shoulders as <laughs> I have to take it on. Um, but I love that yeah. concept of when folks revere the Lord and submit to leadership that God puts into place, it does give not, I don't, I don't think a crippling, I wouldn't assume a crippling burden on leadership, no. but this reverence no, of, right. It's not my job. You know, I think it was it C.S. Lewis who said, God said, feed my sheep, not run experiments on my rats, you know, mm. kind of thing. And, <laughs> and I think there is a, mm. you know, too often you see that in church leadership where someone takes authority, it goes to their head, and they yeah. think, well, I'm in charge now. Uh, right. Instead of, uh-oh, I'm in charge yeah. now. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's a refining process that the Lord's going to use. Submission is a two-way street. And as you submit to Christ, and that's that brings up the other thing too of you know like a congregation's response not only in submission as we mutually submit, uh, and that 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 gives the leader that sense that weight of like okay I'm leading the people of God, mm-hmm. so then there's also this patience piece that comes in, and I'm so grateful that the church congregation, <laughs> you know, was patient with me as I sort of fum- sometimes fumbled myself along you know fumbling along, um, arriving at a good place. Um, a little bit ragged, you know, at times, but the congregation sort of waiting and being patient, that was a beautiful thing. I, you know, I've had pastor friends that were in churches that, you know, one wrong move and boom, they were like, they were just in trouble. They were on discipline. And I'm not talking about moral issues or anything. I'm just talking about, you know, they pushed the envelope a little too hard or something like that. And our congregation has, has been so, and one of the things that God has made of Three Crosses is this loving community. You know, and there's there's fault to that too. We can love to a degree of being too sentimental with each other and all that. But I've always felt there's been like a backbone of love in our church that really allows people to just say, you know, um, he'd be all right, you know. And I felt people said that to me by the way they postured themselves. And there were a few outliers, and you may have them, you know, people that do have an agenda, people that do feel like their way is better. And and uh, but thankfully, you know, and that's just because people are in every place. And God bless him. You know, Jake, my my former pastor or my predecessor, um, you know, he used to have a philosophy of, you know, um, a blind eye and a deaf ear. 
and kiss them when they go and kiss them when they come back. And he, he kind of modeled for me the fact that, you know, someone that's kind of upset or doesn't like what you're doing or feels like, oh, that's it, you know, they're out of here. And there may be some of those people. You know, I saw him model the sense of, you know, I'm sorry we disagree. I, um, I love you and I wish God's best for you. And then I'd hear him pray for those people in meetings where they were long gone. And I think, wow, he really does have a genuine love and care for them. And then I watched some of those people come back you know, and, and that happened in his ministry and it happened in my ministry too, where people that were upset because, you know, whether it was like the Sunday night thing changed or the protocol changed or we took out the kickoff rally or something like that. Um, I saw people that were frustrated and said, I can't be here anymore. Love them, pray with them, keep my heart tender for them and do it sincerely. And then they come back. And it's a beautiful thing because no bridge was burned. I make sure that I try to make sure that nobody feels like the bridge was burned if they're leaving because they feel like they have to leave Hmm. for something that they feel like I wasn't doing right or whatever. And so as a church congregation, I would just emphasize the fact of, you know, submission to Christ, which he's the head of the church, and therefore submission to my spiritual leaders, not a blind submission because I'm following these people as they follow Christ. Uh, so I'm praying for them, and I'm praying that God will give them a sense of real duty and what their role is, but then also patience, waiting, letting that time go by to where they can find their rhythm, and in the midst of that, that there's support. You mm-hmm. know, I'm grateful that while I was fumbling at times, there were people that were still hanging in with me and saying, hey, we, you know, yeah, it's hard to be a leader. They could understand it, and I love that about our church very much so. Hmm. So... I think that's all great advice for someone who's sitting out there and anticipating a season of whether or not it's change. Like you said, every change changes everything. Mm-hmm. And for a change of leadership, yeah. in a sense, there's a ripple effect. And time changes everything, too. Mm-hmm. So kind of as the rubber hits the road on that, if you're if someone's sitting out there in the congregation and right now they're saying, this is great. I love Larry. I trust Larry. I'm going to trust Annie, too. Mm-hmm. Everything's good. I'm going to be patient. And then three months down the road, six months down the road, nine months down the road, a change hits that mm-hmm. is the thing that's their passion point or their sacred cow or mm-hmm. just something that, you know, the place where they came to Christ yeah. is ebbing out like the, the kickoff rallies did. Right. Now, boom, the emotion hits. What right. What do you do at yeah. that point Yeah, in that moment? Well, I'd say you got to really recalibrate and get back to center in your own life that, you know, the church and life itself does not revolve around you, you know, as an individual. And that's true for a leader, too. Like, leaders can also get toxic that way and become sort of like so singular focus that they stop, you know, kind of seeing the bigger picture. And so for your heart as a leader, you've got, you've got to stay soft and always be asking God, like, am I, am I doing this in the right rhythm, in the right timing? Am I listening to people? Am I, hear, am I really hearing your voice? You know? But then for that congregant to say uh, to himself or herself, you know, um, uh, the work of God is not, uh, it is not, it is not centered on me. I need to be a part of the bigger picture. And so I just ask people, you know, people listening right now to this podcast, I just say, you know, continue to see Christ as the centerpiece of our ministry and and um, try not to make it about your own agenda, you know. And one of the things, I'm, you know, if I could just toggle a little bit that mm-hmm. goes along with what you're saying, Danny, 
is that what what happens sometimes with a change? Well, not not sometimes, all times with a change of leadership, is that there's a different personality, there's a different gifting, different mix, and so even though there's like, okay, we trust Danny, we've seen him, we've got a level of trust with him, and we've trust Larry to a level. Of course, nobody trusts me absolutely implicitly. They shouldn't. You know, it's like I'm a man. I should always be under the guidelines of Scripture and accountability with God's word. And um, but there's a beautiful trust that's there that I could damage, but thankfully God is allowed by his grace for me not to damage that. Um, and so, but what's going to happen is people are going to make comparisons. In the first few months of, the, of our change, people are going to, wow, you know, Danny's leadership is different or um, his shepherding style is different or his teaching style. And they've already known, we have a different teaching style. Um, and, you know, What's so cool about it is, is if, and I can just tell the congregation, encourage the congregation to, to resist the comparison game and realize that every person is gifted with what God has for them to do, and they will be equally, if not more effective, because for a God has arranged this, so there's something our church needs that I am no longer going to bring to our church congregation the way I did before. Mm-hmm. And now there's a new day. So um, just try to resist those comparing you know, issues and let a person in their gifting, their abilities, uh, bring the church to a different, you know, um, methodology in some areas and to a different tone in some ways. But, you know, the DNA vibe, I think, stays because that's what God's spirit does in a church. Mm -hmm. Like our church for 81 years has been very similar talking the way back. I can think of people I never even heard, but I, I knew the way they were, that they were like, they were one of us. <laughs> <laughs> and how does that work, you know? And you go to other churches and you feel like there's this different vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. So God's going to preserve the vibe, so to speak. And as a leader, as a senior leader, you're going to be mindful, thoughtful of that. One of the things that I feel like you've done really well in the last few decades is helped us as a church to kind of crystallize and understand what that DNA is. Mm. I think a lot of ministries, one of the reasons that they change and they're fluid all the time is because they don't really know what God has Mm. entrusted to them in terms of their piece of the kingdom work in that city. Mm. And it, you know, I've been in, you know, we've been in hundreds of hours of conversations around things like Mm. life transformation through following Christ and worship, community service, evangelism, and this DNA of, you know, I remember before that it's, you know, we, our vision is to be a church that intentionally presents the good news of Jesus Christ to our world. Mm -hmm. And we're producing fully devoted, reproducing followers of Jesus Christ, you know, so Mm -hmm. we've done a lot of work over the years of, okay, Mm -hmm. what do we do? And even Mm -hmm. refining it, refining it, refining it. So it's, Mm -hmm. even though a statement like life transformation through following Christ could apply to any church anywhere, when we say it on our staff and in our church, we know what it means. Like we mm-hmm. know that what we mean is we exist primarily to reach lost folks with the gospel of Jesus mm-hmm. through the presentation of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Mm-hmm. And so we know that. We know mm-hmm. what we're about. We know our hallmark ministries, our ordination process for all of our pastoral staff walks folks through. Mm-hmm. What were the big hallmark ministries where God blessed the way that we did gospel evangelism and how do we keep our biblical foundation in the center of all that? And so mm-hmm. we, as you know, I think one of the great things about this ministry here is the health and the in the fact that we know what we're all about. A lot of folks who've been here in our congregation and our staff have been here for a long, long time. And so we're really kind of able to hand down this legacy, but not in this wooden way of you need to do things this way, mm-hmm. but with these, this freedom of, okay, mm-hmm. we're all about reaching people. Mm-hmm. We're all about the gospel. Here mm-hmm. are kind of the guidelines, the you know, parameters to do mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. now go figure it out, go figure mm-hmm. out new and innovative ways to reach lost people with the gospel. So I feel like a, a gift that 
you've given to me and to our congregation, even as everyone's able to say life transformation through following Christ these days, Mm -hmm. is really helping us to see that so that we know how to evaluate ministries. Mm -hmm. We know when Mm -hmm. we're not going to do things that just entertain Christian people. We're always asking at a leadership level, where's the life transformation? Is God transforming folks? And if Mm -hmm. not, how can we raise the bar on that or move that along and find something new that reaches people and sees life transformation as folks learn how to follow Christ? So I think one of the greatest things that we've been able to see through the last 20 years of your ministry here is I think a really common understanding for our staff and for our congregation of this is our DNA as a church and we know it and we embrace it and we feel like God's given it to us for a reason. And so really leadership in the senior leadership capacity, in my view, is a stewardship of this legacy with one hand on the past and the other hand thinking, okay, God, where do you want to develop this as we move into the future? Mm. And so I don't want to understate that uh, just the gift that you gave to us through, I know, through teams and through elders and through boards and conversations through the congregation and, and watching God's hand at work. But mm. I think it's a lot easier in our church than in a lot of churches mm. to hold on to the DNA because you've helped us to see what it is. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's a sweet uh, sentiment. And, I, and I'm and i grateful and humbled to hear that. And I think, you know, I would agree with everything you've said. And I would even add just a little point in that part of that DNA in our church has always been just a real sincere, simple uh, love for people. Mm. You know, wherever they were, whatever's going on in their life, whether they were servicemen or, or women, or whether they were an international student, or whether they were just a passerby, or whether they came to one of our big outreaches, um, that people actually would feel somehow loved. Mm-hmm. And that would happen, of course, it has to happen through uh, individual relationships, like people that actually meet them at the doors or people that invited those people to come through the doors in the first place. But it also has to be seen in the pastor that stands before them. And that's, I think, you know, all of our pastors have demonstrated a very sincere, which I know you do too, Danny, a sincere love for people that is, you know, that we care about them, you know. And I think, I think that's just a power, you know, I mean, the power of love cannot be underestimated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's kind of cool to see how people from all different walks of life and all different, you know, backgrounds come in here and they give us kind of the sniff test, you know, it's like, do these people really love us? And I'm sure there are people that have decided, no, they don't, you know, like they had a bad experience in the parking lot or somebody was grouchy Mm -hmm. or they, you know, I mean, we've had those weird, Mm -hmm. you know, outlying experiences, but by and large people, you know, I could just continue to hear people say how love they feel among the body of Christ here at Three Crosses. And, and I, that's, that's commendable, and that's, you know, it's like Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, you know, he says, you know, I, this is the one thing I hear about you guys, I just want to commend you to do it more, you know, to love each other more. Hmm. And that's, uh, that's a, I would share that with those listening today, is that let's camp out on love for each other. And that's not a sappy sentimental. That's love can have strength, love confronts, love, you know, brings truth. But but there's something about love that accepts people where they are instead of like conforming them to where they need to be, Mm. you know? And I think people get that when they come here and it's, uh, whether it's in a big outreach that they see or it's, uh, in the personal conversation or the prayer room that they walk into or a main service or a class community, home group, home community. Hmm. The question that I'd love to hear your thoughts as we close this podcast is how do you take that concept of love and apply it to this issue of, 
response to change as a mm-hmm. in the congregation yeah. you know how for me as a leader mm-hmm. how do you and for you as a leader how did you keep your love for folks mm-hmm. as the centerpiece mm-hmm. as you made tough decisions about change mm-hmm. and for someone in the congregation how does this concept of being loved and expressing love as a member of this body take root as you're sitting there and hearing about change that might be jarring to you yeah well Awesome question. I, you know, what immediately comes to my mind is love is a choice. It's not a feeling. And so as a leader, senior leader, you know, like, and I, I'm thankful to God that he's given me a true sincerity to love our congregation and to love people, people that are a little bit sandpapery at times, which I am at times, I'm sure. Uh, and so, you know, the people that we complain about oftentimes are our, are ourselves, you know, like we, we forget that we are the ones that we're complaining about, you know. Um, but so I think love is a choice. I have to choose to love people that differ from me, that are diff- you know see things differently than me, um, and choose to love them, even in disagreement, even in hard conversations. That happens at a leadership level. You're going to experience that. You've already experienced that. Um, I've experienced it. All leaders experience those tough, difficult, transitional conversations with people who just don't see it the way we see it. And so can they actually leave whatever that meeting is or a conversation or a season feeling like, but I was loved, you know, and I think that's, that's been my goal. And I'm sure it will be your goal as well, that people feel loved, even though it may be brutally hard um, in the process. From a congregational standpoint, I think that love piece is also a choice that we make, that we make a, you know, we make it a, a, a decision of our hearts to say, you know, the one thing we're not going to compromise with individually when we talk to our friends, we're going to love, we're going to love our leadership team. And we love them by not gossiping. We love them by not comparing. We love them by not holding them to a, um, well, there's, there's a different standard of leadership, but not, not holding them to an unrealistic, you know, expectation where they've got to be perfect. You know, and that's the other thing our church did for me is they, they let me not be perfect. You know, they let me, they accepted me in my imperfection. And it gave me permission to talk about my imperfections, which a lot of pastors are scared to do. Mm-hmm. And and I have some fear about it too, but I, I find comfort in knowing that here's a congregation that actually accepts me as a person, um, that I'm not some, you know, I'm not up on some pedestal that I do have, you know, I have disagreements and, and squabbles with my family or with my wife. I've had, you know, let down in my own spirit. I've you know, confess sins of whatever, you know, that I have needed to confess to, to my, my friends and leaders, fellow leaders, and how beautiful that is, you know, to, to be able to do that and to feel I'm still loved and I'm still accepted and I'm still, um, valuable, you know? Mm -hmm. So congregational love toward leadership is huge and toward each other in the midst of changes keep loving each other. You know, if you're listening today and you're kind of going like, well, you know, where's our church going? Well, it's going in a great direction. And part of the way it's going to keep going even in a greater direction is that if you, as a le- as a person in our church, along with the leadership of our church, continue to love like Christ's love, the power of love is just huge. Changes everything. Love changes everything. That's, <laughs> I keep thinking of the, uh, that concept that I think it was the apostle Peter talked about loving one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think on one hand, when you have love, it prevents you from going down a dark and sinful road. But on the other hand, I keep thinking as someone who's going to make a lot of people feel angsty. If I make a bad change or make a good change, Mm. 
my love for folks will probably prevent me from making some changes mm. that I would regret otherwise. Mm. And our congregation's love for and support and trust for leadership mm-hmm. covers over those sins, those those times where you do Amen. make a boneheaded decision. Yeah. Oh, if love is flowing in the congregation and amongst the church, it's Amen. hey, we're all humans here. We all Amen. make mistakes, and hopefully, there's an attitude of um, from my side of repentance and. Mm. Um, change but i think that's you'll you'll have opportunity and you know what i want to add one other quick thing before we wrap this up and that is you know just for those listening today you know i want everyone to know how much i love you mm-hmm. you know like i think i think it's awesome that um god has brought you here for such a time as this you know just the way god kind of works out timing in in this whole process you know and i i've been you know for a long time, Danny, I've been praying for you daily. I know you pray for me and my family. Um, and I just, I'm grateful and I look forward to more opportunities, although there's going to come a time where I'm not in front of our church saying this. So I'm taking this opportunity in our podcast to say, man, I love you. And I know that God has great things for you. And I'm behind you 100%. And and I can't wait to be in a position where I can encourage people to love and be patient with their new leader, just like people were loving and patient toward me. And uh, we're all, you know, the the positions change, but um, the one position doesn't, and that's who's the head of the church, and that's who we're serving and following. So it's awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> yes. And I think I think that's one of the, the things that's been most healthy in the midst of all this. You know, we talk about this podcast being the behind-the-scenes look. Really, the behind-the-scenes look is the last 18 years that we've spent on staff at the same time um, yeah. since I've stepped in here and that love that you're expressing towards me is reciprocated um, from me to you. But beyond that, it's not like that's the first time that I'm realizing that you have care for me as a person. Like that's, we've been working side by side Mm -hmm. and I've been working under your leadership um, and it's felt simultaneous, you know, that Mm -hmm. you've always been uh, someone who's caring and loving me and the rest of our staff and our congregation. And I think that's the, you know, as we talk to folks in our congregation about, how it feels to be part of ministry under your leadership. I think that's the word that they would use. Um, most often is we know that Larry loves us. He knows our name. He cares for us. He knows our family. He's praying for us. And, um, I'm sure there's people who don't feel that way, but um, I rarely meet them. And I, you know, I, I don't take that as a challenge of like, Oh no, I've got to figure out how to be that way yet. Right now. I just relish to the fact that we do have a loving church and it's because God has given you that gift of the love from the people. But I think, You've also done a lot of amazing work to cultivate trust by actively and truly loving folks. And, and I think I'm included in the folks that, that you've actively cared for. So thank you, thank you for, for that over all these years. Thank you. You're welcome. To God be the glory. I love that concept Larry drew out in the podcast that change changes everything. And even though we don't have any big changes planned for the beginning of 2019 or anything, I love that idea that when you change at the leadership level, inevitably, the whole thing begins to change. And so I hope you were encouraged today by hearing Larry's perspective on how we, including myself, can be people who love each other deeply. Our prayer is that love would cover a multitude of sins and mistakes and new vision and changes in the year and years to come. I hope you were encouraged by the podcast today. Stick around. We'll hope to do some more special editions in the future.